Hey, uh, we were on a teaching series titled Family Matters. We did three weeks of that. I just felt God saying, um, I have a, just a standalone message for you to bring. And this is what I've titled, Thirst and Jesus' Words Come to Me and Drink. This morning, what I have to share with you that God has placed on my heart, it's going to be a very visual teaching. I have tons of pictures we're going to build up to the moments of Jesus' words. Because in order to really understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand a few things. So if you're a note taker, um, you're going to want to take notes. I'm going to try to actually some way, somehow, to get our PowerPoint from this morning up on our new website for you. So you can print it off or look at it because we're going to have a lot of pictures this morning. Uh, so, if you will, let me open us up with prayer, and we'll dive in this morning, because we've got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. Let's pray. Father, I don't want to forget to recognize what this weekend is. A memorial weekend. Father, we're here worshiping you this morning in freedom. We don't have to be scared because there are other brothers and sisters all across this world who are worshiping you now in secret and in hiding. And I can't imagine what that is like. Because we can take for granted our freedom that we have here in this country. So Father, thank you for everyone who has served, who has passed away, fighting for our freedom. Father, I pray for your peace, for your hand of protection upon those that are serving still. And God, for those that are lost, may we be the church that refreshes their soul. Father, open us, our hearts and ears, to hear what you have to speak to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all the, everyone said together, amen. amen. Here we go. Jump with me to, let's see if I got my clicker working. John chapter 7. And you're just going to want to stick your thumb right there. It's in the Newer Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And don't be afraid to use the table of contents. It's there in the beginning of your scripture for a reason for you to use it. All right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll find four guys, and you're close to where you need to be. But let's just hang out at John chapter 7. And then I promise you we will dive into John 7. But we have a lot to set up beforehand. What we're told at the very beginning of John chapter 7 is this. There's a festival going on that all the Jews and Jesus is celebrating. Jesus actually doesn't want to go to the festival, right? His disciples are like, hey, you should come. And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm not going to come. I'm actually, and then it says, Jesus is going to go in secret to the festival. He doesn't want to go to it. So eventually makes his way down from the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is, makes his way down to Jerusalem, where this festival is taking place, in secret. His disciples already went. He's making his way down quietly, gets there, and all of a sudden, he just has an urge to start speaking in public, right? I mean, typical Jesus, he's got something to say. So he goes up to the temple courts, and he begins to teach in public. But what we're told immediately is that this is the Festival of Tabernacles, also, uh, it's celebrated on the 15th day of the seventh month. Now you're like, what? That, okay, that must be the um, July 15th. They're on a different calendar than we are. 
Okay, and we'll get to when exactly this is happening because that is huge, paramount to understanding Jesus' words. The Festival of Tabernacles is one of three pilgrim festivals that all the Jews across all of Israel and the entire world make their way into Jerusalem to celebrate it. This festival is also known as Sukkot in Hebrew. Let me hear you say Sukkot. Sukkot is the Festival of Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Ingathering, which we'll talk about. But it goes by different names. And you can find out more information if you just want to jot note. Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16 are two places in the Older Testament that you can actually read. So they're following this festival. And it's so interesting how they celebrate it. They create these booths, hence Feast of Booths, and they create these things as shelter. And then they put palm branches on the top, and they're just shelters that they create outside of their homes during the seventh day festival. And they do this, and here's a wealthier family, because this would be a very large house in Israel. But you can see their booth that they created on the outside of their home. And they stay in these booths for seven days. And they still celebrate it today. What's interesting is during the festival, they celebrate two major things on why they even have this festival of tabernacles. Number one, they celebrate the past. What do they celebrate? They celebrate that God's hand of deliverance was on God's people after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And as they spent 40 years in the Sinai wilderness that God provided for them in the middle of the wilderness, God provided for them. So they celebrate how God took their ancestors out of Egypt and God provided for 40 years before they even enter into the promised land, which is known as Israel today. And they celebrate the present, hence the word feast of ingathering. They are celebrating all the crops and harvest that they just received. All their crops include um, grapes, olives, dates, wheat, and barley. They just went out and harvested all of that. So this festival is, hey, God, thank you for the way you provided for us in the past. Thank you now for the present and what you've done here by providing us food and all this great harvest that we just took in. But there's a third aspect of why the Jews celebrate this festival. And it's the idea of something in the future that they're celebrating. And in order to understand that, we have to understand something about the culture of Israel. It's really interesting. Here's a little timeline for you. Uh, Mid-October to mid-April is what's known as the rainy season. This thing just flaws. I mean, there is rain just about every day. It is their rainy, rainy, rainy season. From mid-April to mid-October is known as their dry season. They don't get a drop of rain during the dry season. Hence, dry season. Right? There's nothing. And water is life to them. Water is everything. So it is so devastating when they enter mid-April to mid-October. They are hoping they have enough water to sustain them through the dry season. How do they get the water? 
Well, first, let me tell you this. The festival of Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles, again, it's on the 15th day of the seventh month. Get this. This is why it's so important. It falls at the very end of the dry season. Keep that in mind. The driest day of the year is the last day of this festival. It's dry. There's nothing. And how do they collect water? You want to collect as much water as possible during the rainy season. Because when you hit this dry season, you have nothing. There is nothing falling from the skies. And so what they do is they create these things called cisterns that are dug inside the ground, exactly like this. And you can see the color differentiation between the bricks where the water would have been in this cistern. Now, I took this picture in Israel. It was the dry season. Hence, you see absolutely no water in this thing. And what they do is they build these at the lowest point of the city. So all the rain during the rainy season can run down and collect in these cisterns. So the lowest point in here would be right here. So as a church, we would dig a big hole down there and hope all the rain just floods to the bottom of the cistern and fills up during the rainy season. And this becomes your water reservoir for the dry season. Some cities may have multiples of these. Some cities only have one. But here's the key thing. The top is completely open. There is no enclosure on these things. You may be able to see on the far right side, there are pigeons down there, which will be another key for us in here shortly. And what happens over time is that these cisterns collect water. This would be a full cistern at the end of the rainy season. They're entering into that dry season now. And over the season, they begin to use the water up and up until basically you're at the end of the dry season and there's no water left in your cistern. Or there is very little. The problem is, this isn't water anymore. This is muck. It's dirt. It's feces from the pigeons that have been flying over and nesting in the grooves of the cistern. It's dirty. It's disgusting. And so at the end of the dry season, there is nothing left. They are desperate for water because no one's going to use this stuff. This is absolutely the grossest stuff you could have. And that's all that's left as they celebrate this festival. What's also really curious about this festival is, again, it's seven days. And here's a model of an ancient city of what Jerusalem would have looked like. So you have the temple in the middle, and this is where they're all celebrating. They will flood the temple courts there and celebrate this festival. Imagine this whole city with those big old booths, those big makeshift tents all over the place as they celebrate. You've got the Mount of Olives that would slope this way. There's people camping in the Mount of Olives. It's huge. But what happens every day is that the priest would come from the high, from the high courts down to the pool of Shalom with a golden ladle. And they would walk down to the pool, grab some water from the pool, come all the way back up to the temple court, and then dump the water on the altar every single day for the seven days. And here's a side view. Here's the pool of Shalom where the priest would come down every seven days or every day for the whole festival once a day, except on the last day they did it seven times and take it and walk back and dump it 
on the temple, on the altar, every day. It's part of their celebration. Again, they're celebrating the past, the present, but something in the future. And what's interesting is every day that the priest went down to the pool of Shalom and grabbed that ladle and grabbed water and turned it back up into here and dumped the water on the altar, everyone, as the parade procession went down, everyone is shouting this verse from Isaiah. Isaiah 12, 3, everyone's shouting, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they're just shouting this from the top of their lungs because they are at the end of the dry season. They are desperately wanting water. And what's left in their cisterns is junk. Now, let's look at John. If you aren't confused already, here we go. John chapter 7, verse 37. And so everything I knew, I flew by that, but everything will begin to make sense when we understand what Jesus is saying now. John 7, 37. Oh, hold it there. So what they do is they celebrate the past. We talked about that, celebrate the present. But the future, what they celebrate is that they pray and celebrate during this festival that God will bring rain. Water, the source of life. And they're at the end of the dry season, and they say, God, you provided in the past. God, you provided now in the present. God, we hope you provide in the future with rain. So let's jump to John chapter 7, verse 37. It says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival. Stop there. John's telling us something so key. He's saying this is the last and greatest Day. This is day seven that lines up at the very end of the dry season. It's known as Hashanah Rabbah. Let me hear you say Hashanah Rabbah. What it means is God's great deliverance. This is the day because when we wake up in the morning, it's the rainy season. And we have been celebrating what God has done and we're celebrating hopefully God's going to bring rain. And John says, on this day, the driest day of the year, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of what? Of what again? Come on, church. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. How brilliant is Jesus? The driest day of the year where their cisterns are junk, there's no water anymore. It is Hashanah, Rabbah, the greatest day of deliverance. We're sick of the dry season. God, give us rain. And Jesus stands up and says, if you want living water, come and drink from me because I am the source of life. You don't have to wait for your cistern to fill up. You think that's life? You come to me. I will give you true life. How brilliant is Jesus? He's a brilliant teacher. I wish I could be half of what Jesus was. And then the verse continues after Jesus says this. On the driest day of the year, in verse 39, by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those believed in him were later to receive. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not or had yet been glorified. The Spirit that Jesus is referring to as He stands up in front of the crowd and says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. I'm the source of your living water. And the Spirit that Jesus is referring to is His Spirit. Jesus has to be death and defeat death and go raise up to heaven. And then the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. And when the Holy Spirit's given to all believers, Jesus even said, you will do greater things than with me around. And that's the power that is within every single follower of Jesus. Is that you have the resurrection power, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Do we act like that? Or do we look at things tough in life and just say, oh, this thing is just kicking me. I can't beat this. But Jesus has come to me, all who are thirsty. I will give you something to drink. And the source of living water. You will have living water flowing through you. And that's the spirit that Jesus is talking about. And I think for many of us, we realize Jesus is exactly who we need in our lives. For some of us, we've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time. Maybe we've gone a wayward um, on our own path and we've tried things to fill us up. We've tried addictions. We've gotten into things we shouldn't have gotten into. But we've given into everything the world has to offer us. And we still feel dry dehydrated. And for many of you, you've entered into that relationship and you've walked and you realize, man, it was Jesus all along. That's who I needed. And that's what we do here at church. That's one of the passions at Radiant Life is to help people who are dry and thirsty come and experience Jesus Christ. For some of you, you guys are just wondering, who in the world is this God? Who is Jesus? Why do they celebrate every come together? Why do churches come together every Sunday morning and worship a God? And I say, keep questioning. Keep wrestling questions in your mind. I've been there. The people around you have probably been there. And we want to be the church that opens our arms and welcomes you as you are with all your questions, with all your doubt. But we also want to introduce you to this Jesus Christ that is the true source of living water. That void that you're trying to do everything the world has to offer, that void is only a void that Jesus can fill in your life. Only Jesus can fill it. What's so amazing to me is that this term living water that Jesus uses, it's used two other times. So anytime a word is hardly ever used in Scripture, there is big power to it. It means something. The other time we get it, it's in the Older Testament with the prophet Jeremiah. Now what's interesting about Jeremiah is he's a prophet that goes around speaking about God and basically telling everyone, hey, you're doomed. You guys are disobeying. You guys need to repent. God's coming. Man, he's angry at you. Repent. Turn to God. But what's fascinating about Jeremiah is he lived out in the desert, in the wilderness. 
And the only living water in the wilderness by the Dead Sea is one place by the name of En Gedi. Here's a picture of En Gedi. It's an oasis out in the middle of the Israeli wilderness. The only place that you can go and just see rocks for miles, and all of a sudden, this there's lush oasis out in the middle of the wilderness. It's absolutely beautiful. And so Jeremiah knows anytime living water, this is what Old Older Testament minds immediately refer to as En Gedi. It's the only living water during the Older Testament because they're all out in the wilderness. And what's fascinating is Jeremiah has a, God and Jeremiah have a conversation. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, this is what God says about the people, the Israelites. He says this, my people have committed two sins. Two sins. They have forsaken me the spring of what? Sin number one. My people have rejected me. The spring of living water. Sin number two, they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And I think Jeremiah gives us a beautiful picture of two things, living water and an empty, broken cistern. This is the comparison that God's making. That for many of us, God says, I am the source of living water. I can give you this. But my people reject this to live for this. And I imagine Jesus saying, what are you doing? What are you living for? This is dry. This is empty. This will fill nothing in your life. You're living for a broken cistern that holds no water. What are you doing? Why would you ever live for this when I can give you that? What are you doing? Why are you adopting this business practice? That you know deep down that is a shady business practice. And you're living for this right now. Bless you. What are you doing flirting with that coworker? I've already given you a beautiful family. I've given you this. But your relationship at your work, you're living for this. What are you doing? I've already given you the victory over that addiction, over that sin. You've experienced this. Why are you going back and living for this? What are you doing? And I wonder for us today, as if there's many of us that we just feel like this this morning. That we feel like that empty, broken cistern. We're just going through the motions, trying everything out, but absolutely feeling empty inside. Jesus says, I am the source of the living water. Come and drink. You can have this.
Does it mean it's easy? No. If you've ever been told as a Christian your life will be easy, um, I want to apologize to you because you've bought into a lie, and I am sorry. There is nowhere in Scripture it says life is perfect, life gets easy. But what I do know is the living creator of the universe is walking alongside in me, giving the grace and mercy to live the life I need to live. And that when I mess up, that when I feel right now I'm treating my kids like this and I'm empty, that God says, I forgive you, come to me and drink. I'll give you living water. But for some of us, we say, I've been a Christian my whole life. But you're really just going over just a routine. Show up to Sunday morning. And if you took a deep, deep look inside, you're that broken, empty cistern. And you're ready to just say, God, I need to come and drink from you. One thing Jesus does as he closes his teachings is Jesus invites people to follow him. Almost at the end of every teaching he ever does, he invites people, come and follow me. He says a lot of times the majority of the crowd just turns around and walks away. Because Jesus often says, you, you, you want to follow me, you got to pick up your cross. <laughs> you got to bear your cross. This morning, I want you to know that a relationship with Jesus is available to you this morning. That you've been dry far too long. And you're ready to live into Jesus' teaching as he stands on the driest day of the year and says, come to me all who are thirsty and drink on the source of living water. I want to be the church our team wants to be the church that allows people to come who are here and move them over here. We've had 55 salvations over the last 10 months. Let's clap for that. And one person just this past week who went from here to here. Let's close our eyes. For some of you this morning, as your eyes are all closed, you just have that visual picture right now in your mind of that empty cistern and that beautiful waterfall right next to it. And you know deep down in your heart, I am empty, I am barren. And this morning, Jesus is nugging, just touching your heart to say, come, I will hydrate your barren, dehydrated soul. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you're ready, you know you've tried everything the world has to offer and you're saying, I'm at wit's end, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. Will you just say this prayer quietly in your heart? Say, Heavenly Father, I surrender my life to you this morning. I put my faith and trust into you. 
I acknowledge I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. And I've messed up. Father, please forgive me. And this morning, I'm nailing it down, declaring that my life is surrendered to you. And if that was you this morning, if you said that prayer with all eyes still closed, would you mind just slipping your hand up? Because I would love to pray for you this morning. Yes, I see it. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you, I see it. Anyone else? You're empty. You're empty. And Jesus says, I'm the source of water for you. Anyone else? Father God, we thank you for those five, six hands that were raised this morning. Father God, we celebrate that people who are just barren and empty can come to you. And the greatest prerequisite is you just say, come to me. You don't say, clean up your act and come to me. You say, no, I'll take all your garbage. I'll take your dirt. I will take it and clean you up. You don't have to do that alone. Father, thank you so much for loving us where we are. In the midst of our mess. Now, Father, help us to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And when we become disciples ourselves, may we just get a holy discontent in our belly that says, I have to share his love. Because I want others to experience this living water. I want others to experience this love. I want others to experience this forgiveness. I want others to experience this mercy, this grace that I have to share it. Father, thank you that you are our source of living water and that your spirit is with every single follower of Jesus. That your spirit refreshes a barren, dehydrated soul. It's in your awesome, powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, our ushers are going to come forward. It's going to be an awesome time for you to grab out your connection card. If you're a first-time guest with us, welcome to Radiant Life. You can take your connection card to Radiant Cafe, free drinks on us, just to say, hey, welcome. We're glad you joined us. Part of your giving is to build God's kingdom. We now have 61 salvations for the year. Let's keep moving, church, but we're only moving as part of your faithfulness in your giving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for building your kingdom, not only in this church, but outside these walls, into our workplaces and into our communities. So, Father, this morning I ask you would bless both the gift and the giver to build your kingdom here. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, go before us. Go before us and bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.